Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born came out in 2018. It garnered eight Oscar nominations with one win, starring Lady Gaga as well. Let's break down this excellent rock and roll film. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And today we're doing Bradley Cooper's incredible debut film as the director, A Star is Born, the fourth film of this story, I believe. Third or fourth it's adaptation. Fourth adaptation, fourth yeah. adaptation. It's my favorite. I've seen the other two. There's three. The three. Him. I've seen two of them. Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand one. And then the one from the 50s. This one, I think, just takes the cake. It's really fantastic. It's dynamic. So well shot by cinematographer Matthew Libatique. Amazing music by Gaga Cooper and their music supervisor. I mean, this movie is just such a surprise in Cooper's career. And he's had a very surprising career. He got kind of stuck in these roles working his way up of being either the friend or like the asshole. He, he was that actor for 10 years from the late 90s to the late 2000s. Then he broke out with Hangover, and then he got the big roles, and people were able to see his potential. And he's someone who's just been so surprising throughout his career to see how talented the guy is in every facet. And I argue that A Star is Born might be the greatest feat as a triple threat for anybody in film history. Whoa, that is quite the statement because over there. Clint Eastwood obviously has won Oscars for directing, and he acted in the movies he directed. But you get a factor in Bradley Cooper's performance in this is so outstanding that puts it, like, in top-tier categories. Yeah, plus all the work that went into actually making this movie. This was years in development, and we'll get into all the stuff that he had to do to be able to look like and play like a rock star to an extent. But obviously, we'll get to who's really playing guitar in this movie. He's singing for real, but the guitar <laughs> playing is not Bradley Cooper. But on IMDb, A Star is Born is a 7.6. Rotten Tomatoes, it is 90% critic score, 80% audience score. Letterboxd, 3.6? I was shocked. because I 3 think points, I, Really? I really like this movie, and I was I was surprised with the average rating on Letterboxd. Me too. Uh, People haven't really... I, I think the younger generations haven't really gravitated towards the film. Even the audience score at 80% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes seems pretty low for me, because I think this is a sensational film. And eight Oscar nominations, got nominated for almost everything. It won Best Original Song. And it's about a famous musician who discovers and falls for a talented young singer-songwriter who had just about given up on her dreams. He pushes her into the spotlight to become a star as he caves into his addictions, sending his career into a downward spiral. Now, like Anthony said, there are several adaptations of this story. The original was all the way back in 1937. Old one, yeah. Then there was a musical in 1954, and then the 1976 one, The Rock Musical, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and even a Bollywood re remake in 2013 and which was inspired by but this is something that's been in development for quite a while switching hands between uh, directors originally there's development as far back as the late 1990s with will smith intended to be the lead musician player however his participation in the film was axed by his decision to star in ali in 2000 Jamie Foxx and Oliver Stone were rumored to be seriously interested in remaking the movie. Foxx first seeking out R&B singer Aaliyah and then rising actor Paul Walker for leading duo roles. Lauren Hill and Mariah Carey were also sought for the lead roles, and Alicia Keys turned down the offer to play a female lead in the film. 
Plans for the adaptation were shelled for several years until 2011. It was announced that Clint Eastwood was in talks to direct Beyonce in a third American remake of the film A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper playing the male lead. However, the project was delayed on account of Beyonce's pregnancy in 2012. Writer Will Fetters told Collider that the script was inspired by Kurt Cobain. Over the course of the film's development, talks with Christian Bale, Leo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, and Will Smith Will Smith continued to fall and fail to come to fruition. Eastwood almost ended up making it until Eastwood and Cooper made American Sniper in 2014. And Cooper really got interested in making this movie and really petitioned himself. And also getting Lady Gaga to star in the role as well with him and making a directorial debut with it as well. And it was difficult to greenlight because Lady Gaga had never been in a movie with a role this big before. She's been in a few movies, but really small roles. She, uh, she, she had a yeah, guest spot in American Horror Story. I mean, that was, and yeah, machete kills, yeah. uh, a dame to kill for. Yeah. She's got really small roles in that movies, but to be the co-lead of such a big film. So it was tough to get greenlit. So what Bradley Cooper did was he filmed a little proof of concept, a little 10 minute short of this of a sequence of them two singing together. Unfortunately, Lady Gaga knows Giannis Kaminsky because he shot one of her music videos and he actually filmed it for the Giannis mo- shot it? Yeah, oh shot like God. this little test of them singing a couple songs and doing a little acting together. And then they presented it. He presented it to Warner Brothers and they ended up, all right, we'll sign off on it. And Bradley Cooper, I believe he did, he foregoed payment as a director and just took back end. So he, he made that back end. He ended up making $40 million on the back end oh on this movie God. because it was a huge hit on a budget of $36 million. It made $436 million. Wow. So Big it hit. made $400 million over its budget. That's insane. And, I mean, Lady Gaga, I had never seen her in anything before either. I didn't, I didn't even seen those, other, those little movies she was in. A Dame to Kill For. Okay, okay, I've seen that. She was outstanding. And Bradley's outstanding as well. But what's funny is A Star is Born is actually my first connection to TikTok ever. Really? So, when you were on TikTok before we started the podcast, (laughs) you would do comedy stuff, and you asked me to film you doing a stitch to the Lady Gaga... I just want to look at you one more time. Oh yeah, and I was you. So you you were playing the role of Lady Gaga, and then so in your video it was you playing the Gaga role, cutting to Bradley Cooper in the limo. It was in the car. It was a trend where the window goes. I just want to take another look at you. It was a trend, and I was like, "What the fuck are we doing?" (laughs) (laughs) You were like, "You're like just just do this. Trust me, it's just like a thing on TikTok." And I was like, "What is this? (laughs) What are we doing here?" (laughs) I didn't know what trending video was. I didn't know what TikTok was. Um, it's really fun. It ended up being pretty fun. I understand now what you were doing, but I was like, why are we making this video of Bradley Cooper from Stars Born with you as Lady Gaga? It made no sense to me. I didn't dress up as Lady Gaga. Yeah. I just, I was just me. Yeah. I was so confused, but I did it. You needed help. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I was, but I was like, what do, I was filming it. I was like, what are we doing? You know, what's funny. <laughs> if we didn't do those stupid videos for that whole year of, it was like, Right, right before lockdown, I think it was during the end of 2019. 20, 20, 2019 yeah. Making all those stupid videos, we would not probably be where we're at right yeah, now. Exactly. The <laughs> it's irony. So funny. The it, irony. Was, it was good practice to understand TikTok and like realize that there's potential to market something. Before we go forward, you got a lot of chest hair coming out. Oh right yeah, now. Well, you I are should, really open there. Maybe I should. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should do one of the buttons. I'm getting a lot of hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
that better. We're dressed up in our in our rock star outfits. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. lost in denim. But James had three <laughs> buttons down, and it was like I could almost see your nips. Well, bro. it's because. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should uh should have tested this one out. <laughs> but it's funny. It was my first ever connection to TikTok ever. Was that making that video with you? It's really interesting. Yeah. But this movie, going back to A Star Is Born, is sensational and. It might be my favorite. I guess you could call it a musical to an extent. I just feel like it's more of just like a rock and it's roll. It's a film. music mo- musical movie. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call, call it. Music. Yeah, I wouldn't call yeah. it like La La Land's a musical. This yeah, really yeah. isn't a musical. Scenes play out in a musical in, song. in singing. It's in not. Song. This, this is just songs. But yeah. when it comes to films about music or rock and roll or 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 live musicians, I can't think of one that makes you feel more in on stage with somebody or, or more like a rock star and also more. Like, invest in feeling like you're in a relationship between Allie and Jack in this movie. You feel like you're a part of that relationship. You feel like a rock star when you watch this movie. You can feel the music so well. And being so intimate with musicians on stage in front of real crowds. Filming this at real concerts, whether it's Coachella 2017, a couple other concerts where they filmed sequences and scenes. To actually film real act like an actor like Bradley Cooper on stage pretending to be a frontman for a band that doesn't exist singing in front of a real crowd I've never seen anything quite like it before and the visceral feeling I get when watching this is insane well this one really sets it apart from other musical films and so I think a reason why maybe some people didn't have the same reaction that like people like us had to the film is because there have been so many music biopics so many biopics are about musicians who struggle with alcohol and substance abuse. And so this is just like another one of those movies. But I think it's it really sets itself apart, first of all, because it's fictional. But then with its real performances. So the real singing between Gaga and Bradley Cooper, it makes all the difference in the world. And it really puts you into the stage with the actors. I mean, I love m- music and movies, but... Oftentimes, you know, the lip syncing can take you out of it, and you, and you know they're not really saying that, singing that on stage and on camera. You know, it's not really happening. It sounds like it's perfect, too perfect in a recording studio. It's in a booth, and it's just too, it's too refined. And so, when you watch something like this, where it's gritty, it's raw, it's real, it's authentic. That really makes a difference. And when I watched this movie, and I watched it again. Uh, the other night for the first time in a couple of years, and I was like, man, this really, this is this is how I prefer music to be shown in movies. And there's been a couple of musicals that have pulled off live singing, like Les Mis, the Tom Hooper adaptation. They did live singing in that one, and it really worked. It's really hard with a musical when you have lots of dancing. It's kind of an impossibility. So I understand with a musical, you're not going to get live singing for the most part. But for something like this with performance... I mean, this movie sets itself apart from something like Bohemian Rhapsody, where the scene, and even Rocket Man. So in Rocket Man, um, he did the singing, but it was still recorded in the studio. Bohemian Rhapsody didn't really—he didn't really do much of that singing at all. And there, you can, yeah, there's an actual great impressionist, yeah. Freddie Mercury, that did the singing, like exactly. cover. So you can and you can tell, but when you look at this, Bradley's really singing, Gaga's really singing, and it really—it it just puts you, it immerses you as an audience member. And on top of that. You double down with the cinematography. Matthew Libatique, who's one of the best DPs working today, is Aronofsky's DP. He shot so many great movies, and he, he works so beautifully with film. This movie was shot on film, and it's stunning. But the thing is, the lighting in this movie is it's really precise in how it captures the real-life lighting of these settings, whether it be 
the super saturated red lights or blue lights of the bars they go to where sometimes their faces are overexposed with this crazy red light. But that's what bar bars are like that. Bars are not always perfectly lit with like diffused lighting. Like sometimes lighting just is too bright in areas and also stage lighting. It's so bright sometimes. And the Libertique and Cooper perfectly captured like what it's like to be on a stage and the imperfections of the lighting is what makes it what really sells it on top of the live performing because it feels like this is a real stage. It's not a stage that's lit for a film. It's not a bar that's lit for a film. It feels like a real bar that they just brought the camera to. It feels like they just went to a stage and then brought cameras to it. They literally, that's what they did. And it just, it looks <laughs> fantastic. And that's one of my favorite aspects of the film is Libatique cinematography. Inside Lewin Davis is another film where there's real music being played on camera, on set. Oscar Isaac is a tremendous musician. He studied acting and music guitar, singing at Juilliard when he went to Juilliard as, as a youth, in his youth. So he's an incredible singer and guitarist as well. So I think Inside Lewin Davis is another film where you're hearing real music on camera, I'm very curious to hear and see Mangold's biopic with Timothy Chalamet of Bob Dylan, hopefully next year, if they can film by the end of this year, to see how much really in-camera or on-set recording they actually do for the music because it really does make a huge difference. And the music really is sensational in this movie. I've been listening to the soundtrack all goddamn week ever since I watched this just out of the blue uh, a week and a half ago because I felt like it because it's so it's such a good movie now. Bradley did a lot of work to prep for A Star is Born. He could not sing or play guitar before making this movie. However, when he was a kid, he did play upright bass, but a completely different instrument really than guitar. <laughs> but <laughs> so he basically he, he's on on record quoting his entire schedule. So he, we mapped out my entire schedule day by day, he said. I'd wake up and work out, followed by two hours of guitar practice and two hours of piano lessons, lunch, then Lucas Nelson, who is Willie Nelson's son, his collaborator would come over and we'd write music for one and a half hours. Bradley also worked with a voice coach to lower his voice an octave lower that that he ended up emulating after Sam Elliott. And then he ended up casting Sam Elliott in the role of his brother, Bobby. Yeah, I read that he used Sam Elliott as inspiration for the voice of Jackson. And yeah. so Bradley's really singing in this entire movie, every song. However, he's not playing guitar. Luke Nelson and his band, Luke Nelson, and The Promise of the Real... They are the backing band of the film. They're on stage with Jack Jackson Maine the entire film. And Luke is actually the, the long-haired guitarist that's in the background. You can see him in a few shots. So he's the one that's actually playing guitar, even though Bradley's doing a really good job of making it look like he's playing the right parts and the right notes. I'm sure he's pretty close. But they close. still did it live. They did it live. Yeah. They sang live. And the backing band's playing the music live. Okay, so Bradley and Lucas, they're playing the same notes. Pretty but much. Bra Bradley's not plugged in. Yeah, Bradley's not yeah. plugged in. Probably gotcha. like uh, he's got strings that don't make and a lot miming, of noise. And they're miming. He's miming it. But he's, he's miming he's, guitar, but, yeah. he's but he's singing for real. That makes sense because you can, I mean, Bradley became a very good singer, but to be a, a believable rock star guitarist who's famous for playing guitar, you have to be incredible. Incredible. And that, there's no way he could have gotten to that point. You can't just become a guitar guard in a, a month, yeah. in a year. You can't just become that good at guitar. He's, I'm sure, still very became very proficient at guitar. I mean, you play guitar two, three hours a day for a year, you're going to be pretty fucking good by the yeah. end of that year. But not rock star level. But yeah, he's yeah. not going to be ripping solos that intensely. Maybe <laughs> eight hours a day for a year, you could be that good. Or, I mean, I'm sure he had great teachers too, besides, uh, obviously, Luke. 
Lucas Nelson, he worked with Eddie Vedder in terms of getting the background and what it's like to be a rock star, the nuances, being on stage. He actually went to Seattle and spent four or five days with Eddie Vedder, who is the front man of Pearl Jam and also has a great solo career. He went up there asking hundreds and hundreds of questions about what it's like to be a rock star. He even was quoted saying that he told Eddie Vedder that he was going to sing for the film and and then uh, Eddie Vedder was like, what, bro, don't do that. <laughs> but however, Lady Gaga initially realized that Bradley could sing for this film. Their first time singing together, she realized, like, you have a voice. There's something there. You can definitely do this, and I believe in you. But it's really cool to actually have real musicians working on this film. And Lucas Nelson is essential to the sound and the music of this movie. And Bradley Cooper said that, he just he he was inspired to cast Lady Gaga because he was at a private party, some some like hotshot party, and Lady Gaga performed a couple of songs there, and he said that she just shook the room with how incredible she was. And he said after that he was like she has to be Ally, like I can't cast anyone else. So that's really why um, he went to Gaga in the first place because he saw her performing in that small group setting and was absolutely floored by her. And I want to talk about talent throughout the, this episode because it's a major theme in this film, talent versus saying something to say. And I think when it comes to music films or, or movies about arts or artists, Lady Gaga's talent in this film is transcendent. Obviously, the music that Jackson plays in this movie and that Lucas Nelson came up with with his band and with Bradley writing all these songs, great songs, great rock songs. It's like folk, southern rock. It's terrific. But Lady Gaga's talent is absurd. It just takes you to new levels. It takes the film to a new level. And I am transfixed anytime she's singing in this movie. And the live performances in this movie are incredible. And I love when Shallow plays. Obviously, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. But also when Allie gets to play her first, when Jackson pushes her on stage basically to like, we're going to play your original song. And she sings it for the entire crowd on piano with the backing band. That is one of the most emotional moments I've ever had watching a film about music. And the, obviously the, the finale basically of the tribute to Jackson after his death, that is such a beautiful song as well. So Lady Gaga's singing and talent in this film really take it to new, to incredible heights. Also, Mark Ronson is the musical producer and writer of most of the lyrics. He 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 actually just did the the songs in Barbie. So he wrote all the songs in Barbie. So he he wrote the songs with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper and also produced all the music. So he's a super talented producer and songwriter and so he was one of the receivers of the Oscar for best song for this film, but and he crushed it with Barbie, which they just had a few songs, but they worked really well. Kennergy is great. Ken, <laughs> uh, obviously, I, Ken is the is the song of the year, but he's a super talented musical producer and writer, so it makes sense that the music is that good because he was involved. And being on stage, it's so different than being in front of a green screen. You've in been a on studio. stage before uh, as a performer, kind of. Uh, <laughs> that What's one, it like? That one time, I wouldn't exactly say that that was a stage. That was more of like a little theater. <laughs> James did a little stand-up back in the day. Oh, you mean the stand-up? Stand I mean stand-up, yeah. No, what do you I, mean? I played, you guitar, I, I played you, guitar once on a stage. You did? Yeah. What was it? It was... I was it was for a it was before a theater show like a like a comedy sketch show or something like that and uh -huh. they had me I had a friend that was running it and they asked if I would play guitar for like a half hour before the show started as people were like coming in how'd it go it was it was fine yeah it was great did I, I, I got a lot of compliments oh, but nice. it was it was years ago you, we it was when we were living in Sherman Oaks uh-huh 
Oh, I think I remember this. Yeah, yeah. it was like. 20... What was it like on stage playing guitar? It was fine. Like I have no problem playing guitar in front of people as long like it's just like if you have to sing in front of someone, that's what would make me nervous. But the guitar in front of people is no problem. And you were like warming up while you were like the warm up while people were. It was settling like instead down. of like playing music, they wanted like someone on stage to like <laughs> set the vibe. So it's not like the lights were on you, everybody's watching you. The light, the yeah. house lights were all on. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> people, all right, so that's less stressful. But I think it was weird yeah. because people were like, "Why is some guy playing guitar on stage right now?" <laughs> as they were Did coming, this guy just walk in. Here? As they were coming in to like set up and watch a comedy show or something. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So you do have an experience as a performer. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't say experience, inexperience, inexperience. I guess. But being on stage is one of the great parts of this film for the live performances. And the way they did this was because Bradley was working with Lucas Nelson and obviously his father, Willie Nelson, is a great performer. Cooper was able to jump in between sets during a gig of theirs to perform the Black Eyes song, which is the opening of the scene. They had about eight to ten minutes to nail it. Opening of the film? Yeah, the yeah, opening, yeah, yeah. yeah. so the Black Eyes, that opening sequence of him just ripping guitar in front of a real crowd at a real show. So they had to bang it out real quick and actually nail it because it was the only chance to do it, as well as for Lady Gaga... In some of the sequences with her, they were filmed at Coachella's Film Festival in 2017. And so festival goers had a separate situation where they could pay $10 to go see the scenes being filmed of her performance as Ellie for this movie. Ellie for this movie. Although recording devices were locked away to prevent any footage from being leaked. And while filming at the Coachella Film Festival as Ellie... Nothing was played on the speakers, so the audience couldn't even really hear what she was singing unless you were, like, pretty close to the stage and you could actually hear Gaga singing. But to keep everything a secret, keep the music a secret, you couldn't – they didn't play anything through the speakers. Yeah. But still, you're filming in front of a real crowd. It's incredible. I had been aware of Gaga, and I just – it's just – I'm not a pop music person, so I never listened to her. But you, I would hear her songs – uh, like paparazzi and some of the others on the radio and stuff. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I had very little exposure to her as a person, but I understand. I I knew that she was very famous and very successful. But the thing with, like, many modern pop stars, you don't know can they really sing or can or is it is there a lot of editing involved in their production? And so I wasn't really sure if she was really a great singer because nowadays with auto tuning and there's so many tools, AI tools now that can just make you, they can make me a great singer. I don't know about that. They could. <laughs> All you have to do is like speak into a into a microphone. Yeah, they turn into singing AI these days. So you're never quite sure, and especially because some very popular pop stars still like lip sync at their concerts, so they're not even singing live or or they're doing what's called a live. They record a live set in a studio, and then they fine tune that, and then they're. So when they go perform in front of a crowd, they're performing the live set they recorded. They're lip-syncing the yeah. live set. Yeah. So it's not the studio recording like they used to, but they even go so far as to record the live live versions of their songs in studios. Musicians, To man. make it seem more so as that like it's live. And we have um, experience working with musicians in the past, um, whether it be recording like live sets or taking photos of musicians. Like when we first got to LA, we were doing a lot like, of live concerts, a lot of live photography, and even directing music videos for them and filming live videos for them. But something that just I it kept disappointing me over and over again was that every band, even when they would want to film like a live music video set, they would record it and then they'd edit the hell out of it and they'd auto-tune it and they'd fine-tune it. And I would just always be like, I would never say anything. But I'd be like, this isn't live. It's not real. 
and we do multiple takes of them performing it. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I would just be like, it's not really quite. This isn't quite right. Like, if you're gonna do it live, do it, do it for real. Come on. Like, if you want to be a performer, perform. And so I've always, I was always disappointed by that. But then you watch something like this, and this is such a great celebration of performance and a celebration of being a musician and an artist and really doing it for real in front of people. Because that's at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, don't yeah, you think? You got one take to do this in front of yes. ten thousand people, basically. Yes. Even though Bradley's not playing guitar, he's still going out there. The band still has to nail it. Mm-hmm. You, you got your filming. You gotta, you gotta roll. I don't think they're gonna let you stay out there for another <laughs> five minutes in front of their their show. Yeah, Willie Nelson, he might, <laughs> he's gonna want to get back on stage, bro. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But this movie's sensational not only because of the music, but the story and the characters. Jackson Maine and Allie, eventually Allie Maine. You know, Jackson Maine, played by Bradley Cooper, such a terrific character. Incredibly talented musician and songwriter and singer with really great backstory. He's in, he's an intensely depressed person. He's been suicidal since he was a teenager. We have that story where when he's in rehab, he's talking to one of the doctors there. He's telling him the story of when he was 13 years old. He tried to hang himself with his belt from his ceiling fan. The ceiling fan gave out and he fell down and they laughed about it. It's like a, it's like this funny story for him, but he's been suicidal for that long. So this is something that probably was going to be inevitable in his life. And even Ali couldn't save him from killing himself, which is so sad. His mother died in childbirth. His father was a raging alcoholic and turned him into his drinking buddy. And he idolized his brother who is much older than him. So you can understand that I'm sure as a kid, he had an interesting and, and more of like a father figure dynamic to him. And he kept that from him his entire life until the last time they speak where he said, it wasn't my, it wasn't dad that I idolized. It was you. So they had this interesting rapport where his brother was obviously, we understand a talented musician as well, but he had nothing to say. And he's always held it against Jack for stealing his voice. He says, thinking that he did it out of spite when Jack did it because he idolized him. And Sam Elliott's great. He's always been a very good actor, but I've never seen the side to him. This truly like emotional, open, vulnerable person. He's always played the tough guy. And to see him open up like this in a film was really shocking, honestly. The first scene they shot for this movie was their fights. Yeah. After they go, they take the trip to Arizona. He finds out that his brother sold the the ranch that he bought for him. Their the dad's old ranch, and his body just washed away in a storm. <laughs> That's the first scene they shot. And Bradley also hired two legendary comedians for this film. Andrew Dice Clay, who plays Lady Gaga's dad, is fantastic. And so this. funny, man. He's so funny. And he was he was uh, on top of the world for a few years in the eighties. 
he was a big time comedian. He was like a rock star yeah, comedian. He was huge. He was huge, and his he just his career just never had that longevity. Well, because um, Dice Clay, his, Dice his Man, comedy yeah. was like very character driven. Yes, versus like a lot of stand. Yes, the, you're right. He the longe- created a character. Longevity of char- of a lot of comedians is you're not really playing a character your mm-hmm. whole life, but some people they find their thing, and he Dice Clay had that thing, that yeah. niche. Yeah. That's absolutely right. He became that persona for his comedy. But he, like, I hadn't seen him in anything in so long. And then he's really fantastic in this film. And Dave Chappelle has a wonderful couple of scenes in this movie. Really fantastic and dynamic and did a very good job acting opposite Bradley Cooper. In a dramatic role, he plays Bradley, he plays Jackson's old best friend after Jackson has a bender and wakes up in his front lawn, basically, and yes. then that great scene where he proposes to Ellie. Yeah, it's, it's a great little sequence halfway through the film that I adore. And Jay Cassidy is the editor of this film, and it links into Bradley Cooper's approach to the movie. Brad- Jay Cassidy is David O. Russell's editor, and you can definitely see the fingerprints of David O. Russell's filmmaking style on Bradley Cooper's filmmaking style. Absolutely. Obviously, borrowing his editor as well as techniques, he worked with O. Russell three times. I'm sure he learned so much, but also O. Russell's rawness, the moving camera, the improvisational, not just acting, but improvisational filmmaking, just just seeing what happens in scenes. You could see that rubbed off on Cooper. It's very comparable to Ryan Gosling when he made his film Blue River, and it felt like a Derek Chan France movie after doing Blue Valentine and Place Beyond the Pines. Definitely emulated that raw improvisational filmmaking style shooting on film with the roaming camera with the handheld camera with steady cam camera and just capturing more so essence of character and situations more so than plot or plot driven scenes or actual story beats that they're trying to hit and so you could feel that in this film and then i think hiring matthew libatique was just such a great move on bradley to get such a veteran artistic and honestly brilliant cinematographer to capture the style of filmmaking that Bradley was going for and it connects to the only way to film these quick sets in these concerts you get one take you get five minutes on stage you just gotta go with two cameras handheld and just get what you can and then you can after the fact throw in a couple of inserts that you could film after those sequences but going raw handheld steady cam for those sequences it works so well of also capturing that idea of like walking onto stage like starting in the back starting in backstage and then moving the camera onto stage and being like holy shit there's 20,000 people out there and it's just us on stage it's just incredible Ryan Gosling's film is called Lost River Lost River sorry Lost not, River not Blue River Anthony yeah, thank <laughs> yeah it's about a, a river that gets stained in blue surprisingly it's blue <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not the river is blue Lost yeah. River yeah and every time I watch this movie I think of David O. Russell's filmmaking as well specifically like Silver Lines Playbook and these little things especially when we have multiple characters or a couple characters in a home setting yeah the I dice clay scenes the yeah. dice clay scenes absolutely with him and his drivers that feels like David O. Russell's like yes. behind the camera there that's you can see the fingerprints all over those scenes as well as at his old friend's house but when he proposes and or engages gets engaged to Allie under the table like those sequences of the like the the family kind of dynamic around the table then those close-ups the reactions of close-ups it's very reminiscent of David Russell's filmmaking yeah but you can also see Matthew Libatique on it as well oh, 100%. It's, it's a blend because uh, Libatique is he's wonderful with stage lighting because he shot Black Swan 
which is one of the most visually impressive films of the century, I think. And the stage lighting in that film is phenomenal. So I'm sure he learned so much doing that film that he brought into this movie. And it, he just captured the stage setting so, so well. And Allie, played by Lady Gaga, also an exceptional character. She's basically this really talented singer and songwriter who is really the opposite of what Lady Gaga says she is because Lady Gaga has said she's always been very confident in her voice, her singing, and she's classically trained and has always been very driven to succeeding and becoming a, a world-famous musician, basically, and singer, whereas Allie has that talent, but she has no self-confidence probably from years of failing at it, and she works at what looks like at a server or a catering company. Looks like a hotel. Yeah, hotel maybe, hotel possibly. Yeah. And she sings on the side at a drag bar that she used to bartend at and waitress at, and so she basically is just stuck and almost has completely given up on singing and maybe her dreams until fate happens and determinism. And that's one of my favorite parts of this film is this concept of fatalism and it all stems to Jack and his addiction to drugs and alcohol. You know, Allie and Jack would have never met if Jack wasn't an alcoholic. And if, if there he, wasn't more booze in the car. Exactly. Yeah. He ran out of alcohol, so he had to go find some booze because he needed to get some. And he walks into some random bar and he finds Allie there. So the, there's so much that plays into this concept of fate and, and determinism and chance in this movie because Jackson's whole life has to bring him to this point of being an alcoholic and running out of booze in this car after a show. His whole life of his father, his upbringing, his brother, his mother dying in childbirth to become so depressed and suicidal and having all these addictions. If he doesn't have all that, he never meets Allie. And if Allie had more self-confidence in herself and her talent, maybe she would never be still singing in this drag bar. Maybe she would have found more success in music. It's It was so smart. He gets the ball rolling very quickly. He has the two characters meet within like six minutes of the movie, which I think works so well. We get the performance, we get Gaga at work, and then boom, bar. Very quickly, which I think works so well, rather than like 20 minutes of both having that backstory. And also, the title card of this movie is fantastic. Yeah. Title card of Lady Gaga is Allie walking through the alley out, out of work. She's singing in the tunnel. And then we get this beautiful red title card, A Star is Born, with her in the middle of the font. And I was like, when that when I saw it, when we watched it in theaters and that title card came up, I'm like, oh, Bradley's got something great in store for us. Like, this is, I, that was like, holy shit, this is going to be good. And within 10, 15 minutes, this movie feels more real than really anything I've felt in the last several years. For Sorry film. about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like real, like okay. you're, you're in, yeah, yeah. not like a real experience. I, I mean, like, like you're there. Yeah, like yeah. you feel like you're really there. And I think because like you said, just bringing cameras into bars and keeping the bar lighting, just tinkering with it a little bit. But I mean, when we're on stage in the opening with Bradley Cooper and his band and the car, we don't see the crowd like cheering after him. We just see him jumping in the car and then he finds the bar in this drag bar. We're just in this place. It feels like a real bar. And the singing is so sensational. And the majority of the drag queen scenes were unscripted and improvised. A lot of this entire sequence was not written. And they originally had little dialogue, but seeing their candid jokes added so much entertainment value that Bradley Cooper decided to extend a lot of the improvisation, a lot of the jokes, and let all of these actors and actresses play around on their own and 
Actually, William Belly, the drag queen that played Emerald, even claimed that none of her original lines made it to the final cut and that all her scenes in the movie were out of improvisation, which is so sensational. They just forget the script. Let's just go with what's real and what's happening right now. It really works. It's a, it's a great little like six-minute sequence, that entire bit of... And then going in the makeup room and Jackson's like fish out of water. It's really fun. He's like, are those your real eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I got fan of my hair. He's like, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. And it's so interesting to see like the life of a rock star. He can do whatever the hell he wants. He doesn't have to go to the airport right now. He can get a flight tomorrow if he wants to. Also... I think Bradley put a lot of what he experiences as an extremely famous person in this film from how people like they have that great chat outside of Super uh, where Super A, Super A, we call it Super, we call it Super A, <laughs> where Allie's like, people don't talk to you like you're a person. How do you do that? How do you deal with that? Because whether it be the drunk guy in the bar or everybody asking him to play a song or the woman in the grocery store taking his photo while checking him out. He's constantly dealing with this fame, but he's he does fine with it. He's like it's all. Right. He's the lady takes his photo. He's like it's all right. It's fine. fine. And I think he put a lot of what people like him and Gaga go through in real life, and how that relationship to the outside world is so different and honestly so bizarre compared to an average human being. I wonder, you know, in terms of them two, because they're both incredibly famous. I wonder if Gaga can go more incognito in public because her persona of being a pop star and a lot of her musicians, she's in a lot of incredible and in intricate outfits and makeup. Whereas Bradley, everyone, I think more people, more average people could recognize Bradley Cooper if he was just on the street versus Gaga without like makeup and everything. Probably, maybe, maybe now that she's in movies, maybe less. I think now, I think after this movie, no. But I think before this movie, yeah, because. I had never seen her without like the extravagant makeup on. Me neither. And I don't think she really presented herself publicly in that image until this movie came out. Because then after this movie, she had that album. It was more of not so much country, but uh, a toned down version of her music, more stripped and gritty and raw. And I remember the cal- the album cover was just her in jeans with like no fresh face, no makeup, and her natural hair, which was so different from anything she'd done before in her career. So I think that this movie opened her up in terms of being more vulnerable and exposed to the world. And then after that, I think everybody, oh, this is what she really looks like. So now she can't. I think that she's way more famous than Bradley Cooper globally. For oh, yeah, sure. for sure. For I, sure. But I mean, like, the average person. Like, people who, if you don't listen to just pop, if you don't listen to pop music, like, walking down yeah. the street. I think they both could walk down the street without getting mobbed. I don't know about Bradley. He's a pretty famous guy. I think he, he could blend. I think he has a face that can blend in. I don't know, man. He's he's also he's tall. He's like he sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, I mean, you would, but I'm talking like if you walk down like a random neighborhood in New York City, he wouldn't get mobbed. I don't think. I'm not saying mobbed. I'm saying recognized. Yeah, he he could recognize. But also, what's interesting about this film is he completely disappears. He is yes, he has the beard, but like Bradley is so unrecognizable in this movie. It all it comes down to the voice. Yeah, he went a whole octave lower. It his, took him months. Yeah. His voice is so great, and it's but it's so different. That's what really throws uh, audiences for a loop with this. For he's always been a wonderful actor, and but he's never really been that chameleon kind of actor. You know what I mean? He's excellent, excellent, excellent actor. But 
Even like when he's got the jerry curls in American Hustle, you know, it's Bradley Cooper. It's still him. Well, American Sniper, I feel like he started getting to that. He's realm very, of, he's great in American Sniper because he did. He was, yeah. That was a big transformation. He put on a ton of weight for that movie. But this one, it just it doesn't even feel like it's Bradley Cooper playing him. That's how good he is in this movie, I think. But yeah, I think you're right. It's the voice. It, yeah, it all comes down to that voice, and man, he is phenomenal in this role. And speaking of character designs, and like you were talking about, Lady Gaga. She actually remained bareface with only lip balm and moisturizer for the majority of filming in this movie. And I think it really adds so much to the character, whereas Bradley had to undergo a full body spray, a full body spray tan every day <laughs> and endure menthol around his eyes to look bloodshot and high constantly. Yikes, that's 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 spicy, man. <laughs> around his eyes? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't do I couldn't do that. Actors, man, they'll do anything. Now before we get into the rest of the film, how about we uh, head on into our intermission? I think that's a terrific idea. And before we continue, the best way to We didn't even talk about shallow yet. We haven't talked about it a lot. The Damn. best the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to leave a five star review on Spotify or Apple, a.k.a. iTunes. We love to le- read our written reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'll read one out in a minute. But also, if you can just leave a rating on Apple or Spotify, it really helps us get seen by new listeners and get discovered. It helps us chart so much. So those ratings are so important to us, and we appreciate everyone who has taken the time to just scroll up to the top of the feed and hit that, fi- that, hit that five-star button. Oh, yeah. You're the best. Big time. And also, another great way to support our show is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Now, Patreon is a subscription-based form of support for our show. We have five different tiers of membership at $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. All patrons have access to two bonus episodes every single week of the show. Our weekly chat is exclusively now on Patreon that posts every Wednesday. We also post a weekly bonus episode every single week for every patron to view and have access to. So you get Tons of free or tons of new content that no one else can see unless they're a patron. Ten dollars gets you access to our Discord. Twenty-five dollars, you get a custom episode. You pick a movie or a topic, it can be anything, honestly, and we'll do it for you. One hundred dollars is the granddaddy. A lot of these come with awesome other perks like messages and video messages and merch. Hundred dollars also gets you a private watch party. Watch whatever movie you want with us, as well as a, after three months, you get to come on the show for a fun guest segment and everything else that we've talked about. So thanks to everyone who's become a patron of our show. Go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And this episode is, of course, sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Be sure to use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order right now. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library. They just sent us a new shipment of posters and they are stunning. We got 2001 A Space Odyssey behind James. I got Evil Dead right here. We also have them all over our home. We have dozens and dozens of them. For all your poster needs, whether for yourself or maybe for a gift for that movie lover in your life, be sure to go to movieposters.com and get our promo code Raiders10 to take 10% off your order right now. Let's get into our intermission, pal. Okay. Let's begin, do it. begin with the movie quote competition. Now, this is between two different characters. Walter, you know, it's smoky, so his toe slipped over the line a little. Big deal. It's just a game, man. Dude, this is a league game. This determines who enters the next round, Robin. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> you pull that piece out in front of me. I take it from you, shove it so far up your ass, 
I'm gonna hit the pull the trigger till it goes click click click. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess with the Jesus. <laughs> Great quote. Sam Elliott plays the voice of God. God, maybe, possibly, possibly. Lebowski. Lebowski. I also did a quote with two characters as well. Okay, here we go. My only problem with life is that I love tail too much. I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much. Is that your sister? No. Is it your girlfriend? No. I love it so much. It's gonna kill me one day. You know how much tail I get? No, all of it. It's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Boogie Nights? Incorrect. Um, I don't know. You're on the right track. Yeah. That's your hint. I'm on the right track with my hints. All right, let's 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 with my that's my hints. <laughs> that's your hint. <laughs> my hint is you're on the right track. I'm on the right track. With my hints. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's Bradley Cooper and Licorice Pizza. Ah, okay. <laughs> he John plays John Peters, right? He had the rights to Stars Born. Did he really? Yeah. No way. Because he had because he made he had the rights for the 1976 version. That's why Streisand was in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's crazy. So it, it was difficult to like get the rights from him and not have him be involved as well. Because he's uh, quite the personality and seems, pariah. Seems like it. <laughs> That's a fun fact. Yeah, that's a fun fact, right? Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, guess this movie release here, Anthony. Robin Hood. The Which Rid one? The Ridley Scott film. Okay. Let me finish the sentence. Well, you had a well, pause I had there. A pause. You, had a, you had a beat For there. For the dramatic effect. <laughs> um, 2011. 2009. Not bad. Yeah, pretty close, man. Pretty close. What year did Tombstone come out? Sweaty, mustachey Tombstone. <laughs> really, the only one who's sweating in that movie is Val Kilmer because he's on his deathbed. They're all sweaty. He's sweating exceptionally. Oh, yeah, he's sweating buckets. Yeah, yeah, he's sweating a lot in that movie. 1989. 93. All right, movie pop quiz time. What Matthew McConaughey rom-com is Bradley Cooper in? It's um, Failure to Launch. Yes. <laughs> with, uh, what's his name? Oh, what's his, I can't remember his name. What the fuck is wrong with me? The QB for Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger? No, the old one. Cordell Stewart? The old one. Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> the one who's in the movie. I haven't seen, I Cornell Stewart is not in Failure to Launch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I forgot. He just plays his dad, he right? He plays his dad. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Cornell Stewart's definitely not Bradley Cooper's <laughs> oh <my> dad. That's <laughs> no, McConaughey's dad. <laughs> you clearly haven't seen Failure to Launch. Not in a while. Now I, I was like, which character is the Steelers quarterback? <laughs> Terry Bradshaw, sorry I forgot your name. Love love you, big fan. He's not a patron anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, my quiz question. Bradley Cooper had a supporting role in what popular TV series of the early 2000s? Huh. Um, 46 episodes of this series. He's in almost every episode of the show. I have no idea. Okay, a hint is he plays the friend of the lead character. I've seen the show. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but you know of it. 
I think you might have seen some of it. Friend of the main character in the show. Dora the Explorer? Correct. You <laughs> <laughs> <He> play Swiper. <laughs> Swiper? <laughs> alias with uh, Jennifer Garner. With, um, He's an alias? Yeah, yeah, he plays her college friend. I've never seen the show, but I know yeah. of it. I didn't yeah. know he was in that. 46 episodes. Holy crap. That was what like kept him going in the early 2000s, being in that show. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, they went to, uh, in the movie, in the show, they went to college together. And there's like, did they uh, date or are they just friends? They're like, it's like a little back and forth dating and friends. I've seen some of it, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah. That's why I meant earlier when I said he was playing either the asshole or the friend in the 2000s. All right. Let's head into Raider Haters, Anthony. We got any unsubscribes? What do we got over there? Raider Haters. Let's, let's see the hate. <laughs> we got some good ones. I love the I love the hearing. Aside the from the constant hate on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> which never ends, we got okay. This is a good one. Jay Kelly wrote in our Cillian Murphy clip, saying his name was. We thought his name was Cillian. You come on my FYP. You pronounce my boy's name right, Killian. <laughs> Reference to the to the other guys. DeMeo wrote, I, I posted the chef video with him making the grilled cheese. You guys are making dieting real hard for me. My, I may have to go to the fridge after watching this unsubscribed. Just don't have any cheese, bro. You'll be good. I don't know. Don't buy, don't after buy watching the, that movie, I had, I had ice cream. When I, watched, I watched Chef and I watched. I ate ice cream after. How many types of cheese did he put in that sandwich? Like four. It looks like four or five. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. You, like a good blend. I love when his son takes the bite. He's like, it's good. He's like, good. fucking right, it's good. <laughs> Kids are so hard to impress. <laughs> Next up, Renee Perez. When will you review this movie, Chef? Or Burnt? Food movies next episode or I unsubscribed? I actually we, watched Burnt the other day. We talked about it today. We're going to do food movies very soon. It might be. Isn't Burnt week. good? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I got some things to say, but it's pretty, yeah. pretty but solid. It's not a perfect movie, but. Solid. Yeah. It's a good watch. Yeah. It's a good watch. Next up, I posted a clip of. I posted the shot in Two Towers where Gandalf. And the Balrog are falling in that underground cave with the water. And it's just like a beautiful shot. They're on fire. The wide. And then I wrote, I, I posted the video of that and I wrote, name a better shot, I'll wait. And then <laughs> White, uh, Jay the White Wolf posted the Morbius dance, dancing of <laughs> Matt Smith. <laughs> he wrote, forgot this milestone in cinema history already? Unsubscribe. Fun fact, they really filmed that. <laughs> he and McKellen really fell a thousand Shut feet up. with <laughs> Balrog. <laughs> you almost said Balrag, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> James always calls I it always, a Balrag. I always say Balrag. <laughs> You hesitated for a sec because I know you almost said ball rag. In my brain, I was like, don't say ball rag. Don't say ball rag. He always calls it a ball rag. <laughs> I do. I can't help it. It's just in my brain when it comes out of my mouth. It's ball rag. <laughs> Balrog. 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 I, I, in my head, I spell it right and everything. But you always say ball rag. Ball rag. <laughs> <laughs> And then next up, 
Uh, that's it. That's it for unsubscribes. We have a great five-star review. We nice. have so many we gotta get to eventually. So do maybe want to do two today? I'll do two. Yeah. This one's from Boldly Inks. I thought you were gonna say Ballrag. <laughs> <laughs> this one's from Ballrag. No, Boldly Inks. My favorite podcast ever. I've been deeply involved in listening to movie podcasts since 2014. I wish we started ours back then. I know. Holy crap! Fucking massive. I didn't even know what a podcast was back then. And this podcast stands above the rest as the best. Movie podcast I've ever listened to. I started listening to Raiders of the Lost podcast back when they dropped their breakdowns of the movie Tenet and have been a fan nice. ever since that. Those were fun to do. They bring an authentic and uplifting energy to each episode. I feel like I'm sitting between the two of them just hanging out and chopping it up about movies. It's a twin sandwich, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a boldly ink sandwich. Oh, yeah, we're right. the bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're the this bread. This podcast is seriously so much fun. I listen to just about every episode every week, and it never disappoints. Thank you, James and Anthony, for the show. Keep being your authentic and genuine selves. Sharing your love for movies. Wow. Thank you so much for that Great wonderful review. review. They used your favorite word, too. Authentic. Twice. I used it in this episode already. <laughs> you did. I heard you. <laughs> All right, let's get another one in here. This is from the Lone Star Canuck, my favorite podcast. I followed these guys on social media a while before actually listening because they had great content to oh, keep thanks. me up to date on the movie world. I eventually started listening, and it's so much fun. They cover news as well as old movies. They cover new as well as old movies, and they cover various genres. Lone Star Canuck, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Is that a, a hockey reference for you up in Canada and Vancouver? What? Lone Star Canuck? Oh, Canuck, like the Canucks. Old Canuck? Oh, it's a, it's a team? The Vancouver Canucks. I don't know anything about hockey. I know you don't. <laughs> you said the Canuck? <laughs> the, Lone Star, the Lone Star Canucks? <laughs> yeah, Anthony, their team. How many teams are in Canada? A bunch? Yeah, like at least, there's like six. Gotta be. Because uh-huh. of Vancouver, Montreal. Quebec? Uh, Ontario. Quebec? Well, Montreal. One, two... Guess uh, you don't know much about hockey either. Toronto. You sounded like no, it. Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, the Blues. St. Louis Blues, dummy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can probably only name ten hockey. I love teams how tops. you're like, I don't know anything about hockey. Let me guess the, where the teams are from. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's at least three the stars. Dallas. There's at least three. Wow, you know your stuff, man. Uh it's been a while since I've followed hockey but i used to you be- started following it after the bruins were good <laughs> and then when they then, then when they were bad you stopped watching I'm it trying to say I was, in col- I was in college there wasn't much to you're do there's not fan. much to do with college you're a hockey bandwagon fan. you get drunk and watch the bees and uh-huh. the seas and the patriots and the red sox sounds like the still the typical life in boston <laughs> that's, that's why we left that's why we left I, you, I had to leave Boston. I, can't, I don't have time to watch all these sports. Can't watch 162 baseball games. Jesus Christ. It's a lot. We used to. We used to. We used to watch every one back in the day. All right, let's get now to we watch movies. Streaming recommendations. And Patriots, of course. Um, my streaming recommendation is a film on Max, the place to watch. <laughs> the one to watch. <laughs> the one to watch for movies. Um, What's the one to watch for this time? Gone Girl. Oh, nice. Yeah, they just added it. Yeah, they just yeah. added it. So it's one of my favorite Fincher movies. It's exceptional, and I, I can't recommend it enough if you've never seen it. I saw the the banner uh, yesterday on it. I was like, oh, they must have just added this. And they did. They did. They sure did. Just <laughs> Yeah, Anthony, Anthony deduced the hell out of that. <laughs> Sherlock, relax over there. This is not a Sherlock Holmes episode. I see everything. That is my cuss. I recommend Chef, John Favreau's film. Uh, it's not available for free anywhere. Uh, but you, if you have stars, it's free. So if you have stars with any of like the streamers, you can watch it. But it, otherwise, it's just a two dollar rental. But really fantastic film, foodie film. It's wonderful, just like indie roots that John Favreau started in, and he went back to it after uh, the failure of Iron Man two. 
it's, it's basically got parallel to what happened to him with Iron Man 2, where he played the hits, he got ridicule, ridiculed by critics for it. And so in the film, Carl plays the hits, gets ridiculed by the critic, and it transforms him as an artist. So it's very metaphorical for his life. I like it a lot. So and fucking The fucking food, man. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Oh, my God, man. There's so so much great food in it. Now let's get back into our episode on A Star is Born. I'm off the deep end! <laughs> Should we talk about the music? Yeah, let's talk about the music. So the music is fucking so good. It I mean, really I can't think of a, of a movie that has a better track list than this that's made for the movie. Of original songs. Yeah, of original songs. It's really... Um, not just like a soundtrack. And not a score. But by the people involved in the film making the music. It's just... Really sensational, and it's so popular. Shallow has 2.3 billion plays on Spotify. That's absurd. I looked up on Spotify. Bradley Cooper has 12 million monthly listeners. Hans Zimmer only has 10 million. Really? <laughs> yeah, he has more listeners than Hans Zimmer. That's insane. And John Williams only has 5 million monthly listeners, so it's still crushing. And a bunch of these songs on this album, I mean, over 300 million views on Spotify, over 150 million downloads on Spotify. So the music is extremely popular, but it's just so good. Some of the tracks are just really incredible. You could see, obviously, Shallow got the nomination, and obviously, Shallow won. But you could see three other songs on this tra- on this album winning the Oscar for Best Original Song. That's how good the music is. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to the album for like a week straight nonstop after I watched the movie. I'm addicted to the music. I, I just, I've just i been just learning some of the songs on guitar myself. I learned Shallow. I learned... Why aren't of, you playing Shallow for us? The guitar is all the way over there. I'm not getting it. Man, the girls are in for something now. <laughs> I only play guitar for... I've actually done it on the show before. What am I talking about? <laughs> I did it for The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. 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 It's too late. It's too late for that. But the music's terrific. I can't get the songs out of my head, and it's an incredible soundtrack. And not only do they use the live performances so well to just film it and make these incredible experiences, but using them to tell the story. And one of my favorite sequences of the movie is, you know, after Jackson and Allie meet and they have that night together. It's very reminiscent of Before Sunrise, that first that first night together. That's why I really love it, because I love these these love stories that feel real. It feels like they're really in love, and it feels like you're a part of it. It's kind of like a mini before sunrise in a lot of ways, but with a rock star and a singer. And they have this incredible night together, and she punches a guy in the face. They go get some peas to put on her hand, and they spend the night together just talking and, and kind of like talking about music, talking about the future, talking about life, and learning about each other. And then he hounds her and like sends a jet to go pick her up, and she quits her job because she can't take her boss anymore. And as soon as she quits her job, what do you hear in the background? You hear the drumsticks and... You hear the live performance beginning on stage of Jack and his band. It's really sensational, and they get on the jet, and she gets to the concert going backstage. The music gets louder, more into the song, this incredible ripping jam session between him and this, and this band on stage until eventually they play a song, and she comes out on stage and after he pulls her out to sing Shallow. So that entire sequence of when, Gaga, when Allie quits her job, the music starts from the live performance, getting there all the way leading up to Jack, his band, playing that song. And then Shallow being performed. It's an incredible 10 minutes. And, and, and even for Gaga, this is her most popular music. So for, for Lady Gaga, Shallow and Always Remember Us This Way are her two most popular tracks as a musician. What? Uh, and she's one of the most popular musicians alive. It's, it's, so they have more. So Shallow's 2.2 billion on Spotify. And Always Remember Us This Way is 1.04 billion plays on Spotify. 
and then Poker Face is below those. That's crazy. Like, that's how popular the music for this movie is and how great it is. And, I, and also, like, I love the song um, Maybe It's Time that Bradley Cooper sings in the in the um in the drag bar the drag bar like really wonderful song acoustic I, I it, there's just so many great great tracks in this but also like you said relating it to the story they have these great intimate raw songs but then they have they wrote the pop tracks where she's being pushed to be a, like a pop diva esque which isn't quite her personality of the character Ally and we we get those tracks too which are really great um and showcase how Jackson is not happy with where uh, her manager in the direction he's taking her in with the pop music. And so they even wrote those tracks, and those tracks are really good for what they are in that genre of music. And then going back to the finale of, I mean, I think they had a, the the plan was to make I'll Never Love Again be the song, if I remember reading correctly. like The plan was I'll Never Love Again is going to be the one we put up for the Oscar. But... I don't think they anticipated how big Shallow was going to be. Because Shallow just is like that perfect song of the movie. And I'll, I'll Never Love Again is beautiful. And it's such a high note for the end of the film. And just goosebumps and the rendition by Lady Gaga, her performance in that moment is breathtaking. But Shallow was just like that lightning in a bottle kind of song that just, if any artist made it, it would be a huge hit. And so that was like a surprise, I think, to even the people involved in the music to be like, Shallow is the one. Yeah, and especially if you love the movie and then you listen to Shallow, you really feel the movie whenever you listen to it. You feel their relationship. You feel the love they have for each other, whether yeah. it's it's fate or not, true love, if it exists, are they soulmates? And you feel the loss that Allie feels at the end of the film of Jack's passing. You feel the pain that Jack feels his entire life, even though he's found someone he truly loves. He has so much pain that he can't bear being alive anymore, especially because it's affecting her. But also, it, but also, I'll never love again. Since that was the plan for what they thought would be the song, they actually used the minor chord piano motif multiple times throughout the film as a theme before we ever hear the song. So we hear those first couple of bars of that track, just those minor piano chords, a couple of times when it's there's a couple of scenes between Allie and Jackson. So they were leading up to that finale really beautifully. And also, Always Remember Us This Way. That's might, great. That might be the best song in this album. It's up there because that's the song where, you know, Allie's been with Jack touring, singing together, and Jack being Jack, he doesn't tell her that he has a plan that they're going to end the show with an encore of Allie singing her original song that he's she's shown him but is afraid to sing because she's, she's afraid to sing her original songs. They talk about that when they're outside Super A, outside that grocery store. And That's definitely the Silver Lake one, by the way. Yeah, definitely that is 100%. Silver Lake. Yeah. So after at the end of the show, he tells the man, "We're gonna do that thing that I told you all about." They're like, "All right, Jack, let's do it." And then she's like, "What are you talking about?" And then she says, "He says, all right, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna sing that song that I love so much." And she's terrified, but then she goes on stage, she sings that song, an original song as Ally. It is incredibly powerful, goosebumps every time, and it's a terrific, terrific song. And Gaga destroys it it's really special and the re i think the main reason why bradley really connected to this film was because of jackson's addiction to substance abuse um addiction to substance sorry <laughs> sorry um he's he suffered through that in his own life and he's a recovered alcoholic and recovered um substance substance abuser 
And so he said Recovering. that. You're recovering. You're always in recovery. So, yeah. Get like, it right what in. What actor was it? There's an actor, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt got him sober. And Bradley Cooper credits Brad Pitt for like saving his life and saving his career, getting him sober. And so I think that's why he connected so much to this film because this film does a really wonderful job of showcasing uh, the tragedy of alcoholism, the tragedy of substance abuse. And I think that's also why some people are turned off by the movie. I think that if you haven't been touched by something like that in your real life, you don't understand it in a way. You know what I mean? And it kind of just can seem like it can seem melodramatic. Hollywood cliche. Yeah, Hollywood cliche. Okay, here we go with another drunk character. But if it's touched your life in, a, in, in some capacity, whether it be someone you know or if you've, if you've dealt with it, you understand how common it is and you understand how difficult it is and how tragic it can be. And so I think that that's a reason why the movie isn't that well liked as other musical movies being like with just very average ratings from audiences for this film is because I think something like that hasn't touched as everybody, you know? And so they might look at that as kind of just being like another cliche melodramatic part of a musical film, the guy being a drunk or the guy using drugs. But it, it is, in fact, a real a difficult reality for so many people. And Bradley did a, a terrific job capturing it in this movie. Well, I mean, goes hand in hand with being a rock star. Yeah. A lot. I mean, it's a commonality. And that's why I see it in almost every single bio biopic about a musician or, or a rock star and rock star movies that lifestyle sex drugs and rock and roll there's a reason why that's a huge saying it's it's facts it's true it's accurate and as many times as you've seen it i think it's portrayed really well in this movie because they they do it differently with it's not just fun and yeah, partying but it's not like i think it's interesting to do a combination of things whether it's the booze as well as the pills, crushing the pills and putting them in the drink, as well as snorting pills, as snorting coke, and also even things like steroid shots to get his voice back and stuff like that. So not only just drugs for to get high, but also drugs to maintain your health in a way, not in a healthy way, but to maintain standing up and being able to sing. Yeah. So he's got substances of all kinds inside of his body. He's got this cocktail constantly in his blood. And Bradley smartly opened the film with that. The first thing we see... Before he even goes on stage, is he takes the pill and takes a, a, a he finishes his drink. That's the first thing we, we we get the insert shot of that. It's it's a great one take where Libatique starts with the camera there. We see him insert shot of him doing the drink and drug, and then we follow the camera comes up and follows him onto stage. And the only thing that keeps him clean momentarily at times is Allie. You know, the first time that he surprised her at her house when she wakes up and he's in her in her bedroom. He takes her away. He's sober at this point, but also Allie does a really terrific job with this relationship and this dynamic to assert her control in the situation. She's like, I'm never going to get on that bike if you've been drinking. We'll see and, how long that lasts. Yeah, he's like, I haven't even been thinking about anything else. Yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how long that lasts. Exactly. She's, getting, she's putting control on their relationship because this dynamic, he's a rock star. I'm not. I'm not going to put up with him being a drunk all the time and abusing me emotionally or, or not being there for me. I don't want to deal with an alcoholic and a drug addict in my life. So he has to clean up his act if he wants me to be a part of it. And But what also that which is a little different portrayed in this film is showing how it's really a mental health disorder that's causing this. And yeah. it's, not, it's not so much the rock star lifestyle. It's like he has always been struggling with life. And being a rock star allows him access to so much stuff. That he can, he's just always around it, 
which makes it so much more difficult for him to ever give it up. And so I think they did a, he did an incredible job of portraying mental illness in this film. Well, music is the only thing that's ever made him feel good. And he tells Allie that story of the first night they have their big show together, they play Shallow, and he's passed out, and Bobby puts him into bed and tells Allie, like, you don't even know the half of it. This is You think he drinks a lot? Yeah, you don't even know the half of it, honey. Um, and then in the middle of the night, they make love, and then they wake up and have their breakfast, and he tells her this really... What he thinks is an embarrassing story where he said that his brother Bobby came home to take care of their father and he caught him playing an upright, an upright piano, playing, probably singing and playing piano. And he said, my brother looked at me like I was special or something. And that made him feel incredible to see his brother, who he idolizes, seeing probably immense talent and potential in his brother's singing and music and, and songwriting. And... You can assume that the only thing he's ever tried to do is probably make his brother proud by playing music and being a musician. And, you know, he didn't, he stole his voice because he was obsessed with his brother. He stole his style because he was obsessed with his brother's style. And then the one difference between them, besides their age, is that Bobby didn't have anything to say, but Jack did have something to say. And he was a great songwriter. And they've always had a grudge against each other where Bobby thought that Jack stole his voice out of spite and out of jealousy. But he took it because he idolized him. And also, Jack didn't think that Bobby was would play his songs because he was too prideful to play his songs. So they both butted heads about those two different things. So if if Bobby played the songs that Jack wrote, maybe Bobby would have been the big rock star. And maybe they would have had a different You're dynamic. You're right. You're right. He, did, he, wanted, he didn't want to do it because... Because Jackson was such a great songwriter, and Bobby didn't want to do it because of his stubbornness. Yeah, he probably got. He was probably jealous of his songwriting. Yeah, and that's he, great. He thought I could do it too, but he was too prideful to play Jack's songs. Yeah. Also, I mean, the hotel room. I mean, super realistic sex scene. It's like morning sex, because like middle of the night sex. It's like he's dawn. sober when, when he's dawn. sober. When he's sober, it's and, dawn. Yeah, because there's light coming in. Yeah, yeah. Early dawn light. It's morning sex, but it's so realistic. Of like waking up and then he's got morning wood. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. But oh my god, she's here. But it, it was very, it's very realistic scene. It was very unmovie, very unHollywood esque. It just felt very, um, just human, as opposed to so many other sex scenes in movies. And I thought it was just a really fantastic thing to do because he's so blackout at night. He's really himself in the mornings. Like they have that, so they have sex and they have. A really nice breakfast and he's everything on the menu yeah every, everything but he's he's himself you know he's sober and it's it, this is who he really is and so these it's it's when i watched this movie the other day i was like it's kind of sad like um someone like him where you can only see his real self in the mornings when he's when he's sobered up because every other time you see him he's he's drunk on the bottle and that's what worries ally after he's when he's in rehab, she's like, are you sure you want to come home to me? Because you were always drunk when we were together. Uh, so she's worried that maybe that affected him in his decision-making of marrying her and being with her. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially when they have that fight while she's in the tub where he calls her ugly because she's always been self-conscious about her looks because as talented as she is, every time she's had a meeting with producers or music producers or studios – they say you're talented, but your nose is too big, or you don't have the look. You you don't have it. We can't market you. So she's always been self conscious, probably because of that, and that's why she's at she's hit a ceiling in her career. But Jack helps her get out of it, and you know 
she keeps Jack at bay in terms of obviously he's still drinking, but not using really too much. And he tries to not use drugs at all while he's with her and while they're touring together and in love and building their relationship. But he still drinks for sure. Things set him off, like but, her, the manager with her. and Yeah, so basically yeah. what starts to set him off the rails is he's happy for her and her career, but he's not happy with the sound she's developing of being this pop star where, you know, Jack wants her to be this perfect version of what he wants, but he doesn't understand that Allie deserves what she wants. But also, Allie should take his advice in terms of when she, she does take his, his advice of being more true to yourself when she, you know, cuts the dancers for the live show because she doesn't want stuff like that in her performances anymore until eventually later on when she's a huge pop star. And then in the end of the film where she's got her natural hair again and she's become herself again. Basically. Yeah. So Jackson can't handle what she's becoming because of the studio system turning her into this pop star that she thinks she wants to be but really doesn't want to be. She's doing what she thinks she should do yeah. rather than what she wants to do. And the SNL performance is an important scene because what's he do? He doesn't even finish watching her show. He goes and finds a beer and then bumps into his brother. Yeah. And that's, that's how he's always dealt with stress. And that's the big turning point in Catalyst for Jackson. He can't handle it. So then he starts using drugs again. Then he has that Grammy performance where he's supposed to sing and be the lead of this performance, this, this uh, homage to this old song. Instead, he gets demoted to just being the lead guitarist in the background and gets blown up with he takes a loaded. Ton of, gets loaded pills <laughs> blown up is that what the kids gets, say i guess they get blown you up. know how it is sometimes when you talk <laughs> he gets loaded on a bunch of pills and booze barely makes it through that song yeah. then embarrasses Allie after she wins best new artist at the grammys pisses himself on stage horribly tragic ruining ruins her acceptance but she loves him so much that she's always willing to let it go. Yeah, in a way, it's it's hard for him to accept the fact that his career is on its way out. He's still very popular, very famous, but getting demoted in that performance and then also the rise of Ali being such a rocket ship, that's also a cause of his anxiety and stress and, and what leads him to drugs and alcohol again. So it's it's it, there's everything that sets him off in terms of stress, he goes to to numb it. And he's, he's already been feeling his career going down before he met Allie. Yeah. Because, you know, before they go to, I think it's the SNL performance, they're on the rooftop looking at the billboard of Allie out on what's probably Sunset Boulevard. Or, or I mean, they're in New York, probably. No, it looks like it's Sunset. Maybe it's not before that SNL Hollywood, show then. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like, yeah, it looks like yeah. Sunset Boulevard. They see the poster and he tells her, you know, they're not going to listen to you forever. Because it sounds like they're not listening to him anymore. And he was once a way bigger star than he is now. And it's, it's good advice. You know, as while they're listening, you better you better tell them what you have to say because they won't be around forever. So that basically says that it's not Allie that caused him to lead spiral down his career into being this avalanche going downhill. He was already going downhill. And but also Bobby saying I've he hasn't played like that in a long time. And also Chappelle's character saying, I haven't seen you... Like it was great. It was like you were just like you were back. Yeah. It was like you were doing your thing. Like he hasn't been that kind of musician for years. So he was in a downward spiral. Allie brought him up, but then he couldn't save himself, and Allie couldn't save him from himself. Yeah, and his demons. There's um. There's also a really gr couple of great foreshadows to his eventual suicide in the film. Uh, so in the original films, um, Maine actually drowns himself by swimming into the ocean and drown himself. But in this film, he obviously hangs himself in the garage, and Bradley Cooper actually originally wrote and planned to shoot the ocean scene 
and they even scouted the location, but then the idea of the garage scene popped into his head, which I think works stronger. However, there's a couple of great foreshadows. So obviously, in a couple of songs, he talks about swimming. And then it at rehab, he talks about being swimming there as well. So that's like connecting to the original films when he drowns himself. But also, in the opening of the film, when, with his driver, the driver's driving him looking for a bar. After the concert, they stop at a red light, and there's this shot of of Jackson in the car and, and we can see a billboard in the background on the street and on the billboard are four nooses doing an advertisement for something. It is just Easter egg right there. It's insane. There's also another major hint uh, a little later in the film. Uh, it's a commonality with people who are suicidal or and eventually try to kill themselves is they, uh, the thing they do is they start giving away things. And it's a sign... They're not even doing it consciously, subconsciously. Like They're losing connection to the world. So they're just like giving things away to people. And in the film, Andrew Dice Clay's character, they're at Jackson's place. And he's like, wow, you got this amazing set of vinyls. Like, vinyls, these are amazing. And then Jackson goes, take whatever you want. Take anything. This is a sign of him showing that instance of people who were suicidal giving away their things, he's losing connection to it, so that's why he's offering, hey, take whatever you want. So that's another foreshadow to his eventual suicide. Yeah, and then probably the biggest is the story with the therapist. Yeah, yeah. Where he t- says that, why well, try to kill myself with my belt? And what's he do? Hangs himself with his belt. Man, the shot of, like, and he shot that scene so well with Liberty, the suicide scene of, the first shot is his boots stepping out of the truck, and then he walks into the garage, and then he takes off the belt, and he's holding the belt, and they haven't even showed his face yet. The camera just stays on his hip with the belt in his hand, and then it pans up to his face, and then he walk, he approaches, he, then he puts his hat down before they, we see his face. He puts the hat down, and then, he, then we pan up to his face. He goes to the garage door. And he just shuts down the garage door over the camera, closing himself off. And why does he finally do it is because of what he's done to Allie and realizing the manager when he comes to talk to her. You know, the manager comes saying he's waiting for Allie, but he's there to talk to Jackson, says, you've embarrassed her. We've had to, she's almost, you've almost ruined her entire career. You're an embarrassment to her. She won't tell you this to her face because she loves you so much. And She's also had to find out that she had to cancel half her European tour, and she's going to use it to take care of Jackson. But she lies to Jackson and says that because they want to focus on my sound here and we're going to do some shows and stay in America, but she really wants to take care of Jack after he gets out of rehab. That's why she cancels half the tour, because she also wants to go on tour with Jack and duet together with him, but the manager's like, there's no way we can actually... There's no way we can do that. And so... After the manager talks to Jack, he realizes... Well, you're missing a big point. He says, it's only a matter of time until you go to the bottle again. Yeah. And you're gonna... It's gonna blow up... You're gonna blow up again, and you're gonna derail her career again, and maybe even do something worse. And so, that's the bigger kicker of, you know it's gonna happen again, and you know you're gonna wreck her life eventually. That's... It's like a ticking time bomb. That's, That's what he does, and that's why he kills himself, because it's something that he's been fighting his whole life not to do. And now that he's ruining the the life of the only person he loves, really, his his wife, he's ruining her career. How do I save her career? Basically, yeah, yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of a sacrifice to save Allie. I, I look at it that way, too. He did it so that he would not 
ruin her life any further. Yeah. Or affect her negatively any further. Oh my yeah. gosh. I'm it's emotional. Getting emotional now. Oh my god. I have some really great fun facts if you uh want want to hear some. Dude, I love fun facts. <laughs> blah 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 blah. So Matthew Libatique, the DP, actually ran two reverse angle cameras simultaneously in a lot of the intimate scenes. This means they were filming with two cameras at once, and so the bathtub scene is an example where they're filming both actors at the same time so that they can capture the real performances and improv that they're using in that scene. Uh, so well, I love when filmmakers use multiple cameras for instances like that, and it really works in this film with a lot of the scenes. Next up, <clears throat> Lady Gaga had to perform the final song, I'll Never Love Again, Moments after she found out her best friend had passed away, Gaga said in an EW interview, My very, very dear friend Sonia died of cancer that exact same day we were supposed to film that scene. And we were about to shoot in 30 minutes when he, she got the phone call that her friend had passed, was dying. She drove to the hospital to try and get there in time, and unfortunately her friend had passed away before she made it into the hospital. And so for the next couple of hours, Lady Gaga lied with her friend in the hospital but then she had to return to set because they only had that loca location for one day. And she said, when I came back, Bradley Cooper was so gentle with me and we got through it. I performed the song and he was like, you don't have to do it again. It's okay. All I wanted to do was sing. I'll never forget that day. It was a really special scene and I'll always remember that moment. So she did that in one take. Goosebumps right now. Yeah. Really incredible. The dog that Allie gets for Jackson is actually Bradley Cooper's dog. Oh, what a cute dog. <laughs> Um, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, hold on a sec. Yeah, you don't have to apologize, man. Just keep going. All right, I already did, the, I already did these other fun facts. You did those other fun facts? Yeah. Wow, what a film. What a picture. What a picture. I love this movie so much, and I've been thinking about it ever since. It's the only thing that got my mind off Oppenheimer since I've seen Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> but then I watched Oppenheimer again last night. <laughs> I went to my third screening. How was it, third time? So good. It's transplendent. So good. But A Star is Born, I think, is a really special movie in this rock genre, this music genre. And I think Bradley Cooper is a tremendous director. And what a debut. No one talks about this this century for some of the best debuts, but it's, it's really phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, eight Oscar nominees, one win. It's really great, special. Great movie. Really I special. can't wait to see Maestro later this year. Yeah. I can't wait that. Did you know that so Maestro is playing a composer, I mean, a conductor? He was obsessed with conducting when he was a kid. Like, he wanted to be a conductor oh like, really for christmas he asked his mom i think when he was like eight or nine i read that he wanted a conducting baton when he was a little kid just that's to like cute. pretend like he was a conductor that's very cute so it's kind of like a full circle moment a passion of his for his entire life well yeah maestro must be something that he's just been wanting to do for a long time it's pretty cool yeah pretty cool all right that wraps our episode on a star is born thank you so much for tuning in to raiders of the lost podcast don't forget to leave those five star ratings and reviews on spotify and apple and become a patron today at patreon.com slash raiders of the lost podcast take care everyone in the shallow, Nailed in it. the shallow, yeah, sing it, right, Anthony. Sing it, Anthony. <laughs> this episode was executive produced by our chosen one patrons: Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly. Andrew Hagen. Our chosen one patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.